0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to bibleclass.tv or .org, as you can see on our screen behind me. We're glad you're able to join us on this Tuesday afternoon as we open up the discussion to all of you in the audience. So we'd like you to participate. Uh, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, please be sure to use the Q&A box or the chat window box and enter in your comments or questions, Um, and if you're coming in from the Facebook page, which I believe is uh, Scott's Facebook page, go ahead and use the comment box there, and we're monitoring that as well. My name is Drew. I'm your host here today, and let me bring in our panelists, Jeff Smeltzer. Good to see you today. How are you?
1: Hey, good afternoon. Good to be with you.
0: And uh, see, Jeff, you're down in Exton. You work with the church in Exton.
1: Exton, Pennsylvania, out on the main line west of Philadelphia.
0: Fantastic. Scott Smelter's is with us, working with the group down in Gettysburg. Hi, Scott. How are you doing?
1: Doing all right, Drew. How about you?
0: Doing very well. And uh, Jonathan, good to see you again today. You're also working with uh, the church in uh, Gettysburg, but you moved recently. You're, you're where?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm in Littlestown right now is where I live, but still working with the church in Gettysburg with Scott.
0: Great. And so we're all Pennsylvanians. I, I work with the church in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, where I was living for the last three years. But now I'm, I moved down to Dunmore, Pennsylvania, uh, and I'm just outside of S- uh, Scranton. And I guess, uh, Scott and uh, Jeff, you didn't know that Scranton looked this nice, huh? You haven't been here in a long time. <laughs>
2: that is wonderful. That's <laughs> <After> that,
1: Scranton. <laughs>
0: Now I'm using a green screen, full transparency here. The office I'm in is small and it's a mess. So I put my green screen up and
1: well, it look know, like we, it. we can't actually see it all that well because we've still got the welcome screen up. So, Oh, let me yeah. hit stop.
0: Yeah. Okay. Stop sharing and there it is. Now you see it wow. a little bit better. Yeah. All
1: right, do do that thing where you change the, the screen on the wall behind you. Oh, you mean my monitor, my monitor, you want me to shut it off? Yeah. Yeah. Shut it off. Come on. Wait, wait I, I was talking. There you go. Do it again. Put There you go. Uh,
0: there, okay, let me do it again. With me talking, it's now on and then off.
1: <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> uh, boys and their toys, right? <laughs> we're all having fun with these things. <laughs> uh, glad everyone's joined us today um, on this Tuesday afternoon. and So we're going to talk about something about death or not death. Uh Scott, our program director, is going to take it over. Scott, what are we talking about
1: today? All right, we're going to start uh, a series that we'll probably do now and again on this broadcast of looking at puzzling texts. Uh, and today, it's sin unto death, sin not unto death. So I'm going to read First John 5, 16 and 17. I'm going to read it as it's printed in the American Standard. And one of the things we'll need to note, and Jeff probably the uh, one that can most uh, clearly tell us about the article situation here, is to discuss how that sounds in the text. But I'm just going to read the text straight up here, and then we'll talk about different interpretations people have offered. And then to look at the correct interpretation, we're going to look at context and the way John uses this language.
0: Can you repeat the reference again?
1: Repeat the reference. First John 5, 16 and 17.
0: Thank you.
1: If any man see his brother sinning a sin not unto death, he shall ask, and God will give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. Not concerning this do I say that he should make request. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So, uh well, first, before we get to the business about the article, what are some things you have heard people speculate that this sin unto death or this sin not unto death might be uh before we actually look at the context and how John uses words? What are some ideas you've heard? Mortal
0: sin
1: versus venial sin, maybe? Yeah. In Roman Catholicism, uh, if you're familiar with their idea of mortal sins and venial sins. Venial sins send you to purgatory. Mortal sins uh, send you to hell, I believe, is one of the distinctions there. Um, But this is definitely a text that they say that teaches the difference between mortal and venial sin. Venial. No, venial. 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 Uh, What's another way you've heard people explain this passage?
2: The sin unto death being the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about.
1: Yeah, which is to me uh, kind of, you know, people, what's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What's the sin unto death, sin not unto death? And it seems the easiest thing to say, (laughs) oh, it's the other one. Um, uh, So, uh, and then... Uh, I've also heard people speculate that maybe it's suicide. Suicide is the sin unto death. Well, I've heard people talk about it as if it's just that, well, there are some sins that are really bad and some sins that aren't. Some sins that, yeah, you shouldn't do it, but it's not going to cost you your salvation. But other sins, yeah, if you do it, it'll cost you salvation. Maybe not terribly unlike the Catholic concept, and yet these are not Catholics who think that way. Yeah, so if you are a drug addict, or a drunkard, yeah, that costs your salvation. But if you're a gossip or you're selfish, uh, that's not gonna cost you your salvation. All right, uh, but one of the odd things here, Jeff, explain to us how articles work in English and Greek. Because when I read, as this says, there is a sin unto death, and there is a sin not unto death, it makes it sound it gives one impression that's not really there in the Greek. Uh, so, how about help us out with that, Jeff? Okay, uh, I'm not sure what you're asking, but I'll, I'll maybe you can clarify what the distinction you hear is. But if you just read this, and I'll just translate from the Greek text uh, as I go here. If one should see the brother of him sinning sin, um, now maybe this is what you're asking. In the in in Greek, there's not what we traditionally would think of as a Uh, indefinite article. So in Greek, we have the, that's a definite article and specifies something specific, the the book. If I say the book, you know I have in mind a particular book. If I say a book, that's an indefinite article, and it could just be some book. Uh, But in Greek, while they have a way of saying the, there wasn't what we would traditionally think of as a classic indefinite article. There were ways to do it, but uh, so what that means is, when you just see a noun in Greek without an article at all, you have to decide based on context whether you put an "a" in there or not. So here we go. If if if, uh, if you should see if one if you should see a brother sinning or some brothers sinning sin, or you could say a sin, you could translate that either way. Uh, not to death, he shall ask, and he shall uh, give him life. Is that what you are talking about, Scott? Yes. So normally, if you're just reading Greek, a text might say they got in the boat, or it might say they got in boats. But it wouldn't in Greek say they got in a boat because they don't have the indefinite article. Um, we in English, it would it would sound a little bit like Tarzan to write the Bible with no indefinite articles. Uh, you know, like instead of he saw a yeah. man, he saw man. or or something like that so it's helpful that we have some indefinite articles but every once in a while and this is curious to me every once in a while adding the indefinite article makes it sound definite for example in Romans uh excuse me Revelation 13 uh 666 it's the number of man now if you put it's the number of a man then that really pushes you in the direction which single man is it the number of? Mm-hmm. Or if it's the number of man, it could be kind of general. And this is another one of those. If you say there is a sin unto death, it can cause somebody to wonder, well, which one is it? Yeah. Even though it's The indefinite article. Yeah. But it's better just to read this without the articles because there is no article there. So, yeah, if, so thinking, if someone sees the brother of him sinning sin not to death, he shall ask and he shall give to him life to the one sinning not to death. There is sin unto death, and all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not unto death. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, so contextually, just from the epistle of First John, what are some things to help us figure out what's the difference between sin unto death and sin not unto death?
2: In the first chapter, John talks about um, walking in the light versus walking in darkness and talking about sin there. So in first John chapter 1, um, starting in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Uh, so he he has two distinctions of there's walking in the light, and walking in darkness, and you can say that you're walking with God, but walking in darkness, and you don't have fellowship with Him.
1: Right. And let's encourage our view and viewers. We'd love to have you uh, have you come in with your questions and comments. Uh, Drew, tell them how to do that, and then I'm going to ask a couple of questions.
0: If you're coming in on the Zoom app, uh, the Q and A button or box, or the chat button or box. Just click on that, and it'll bring up a window, and you can type in your comments and questions right there. Uh, If you're coming in on Facebook, everyone on Facebook knows how to do that. You just comment in the Facebook under the video.
1: All right, very good. So some real simple questions on the text Jonathan just read. In verse 5, what does verse 5 tell us about God and sin? God is
2: light and Seems like sin is darkness in comparison, and there's no fellowship between the two. And there's no darkness in
1: God, so God doesn't sin. What does verse 8 and verse 10 tell us about people in sin?
2: <laughs>
0: wait, wait, wait.
2: A, there is a very big possibility that people sin. It happens every day. If we say that we
1: have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the first thing is we can't claim we haven't sinned. Right. Did you say verse 8 and verse 10? Yes, yes. Okay. And then so uh, verse 10 says if we say that we have not sinned, uh, we're lying. Right. We make him lie. lie. No sin in God. Mm -hmm. Verse 8 and 10, all have sinned like Romans 3 says. Now, verse 6 and 7 describe two different types of men that commit sin. The guy in verse 6, does he think he has fellowship with God?
0: He says does, he does.
1: Yeah. yeah, he at least claims to. Does he have fellowship with God? No. No. The guy in verse 7, does he have fellowship?
2: Yeah, does walking he in he my life? the blood of Jesus. Yes. yes. Does he sin? Yeah, yep. according to verse 8.
1: <laughs> not, as, not as a way of life. Right. He sins because if he didn't sin, there'd be nothing to be cleansed. It said the blood of Jesus cleanses him from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So the guy in verse 6 commits sin, doesn't have fellowship. The guy in verse 7 commits sin, has fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses him from his sin. So what's the difference? Both guys have committed sin. Both guys claim to have fellowship. So why does one have forgiveness and one not?
0: Because uh, the first one's not confessing his sins?
1: That's true. Uh, Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. And there's a difference in the way it talks about the verb in verse 6 and verse 7.
2: Where... One is walking in darkness, one is walking in light. Right. The, the, the one that's walking in darkness, he didn't
1: step into darkness. He didn't slip into darkness. He's walking in darkness. The guy in verse 7 is not walking in darkness. He's walking in light. He slips, he stumbles, but he repents. He, verse 9, confesses his sin. He gets back up and walks in the light. Jesus forgives him. Yeah, just.
0: Jeff, hold on a sec. Jeff, is that that the definite article there in front of light? Uh, In verse five, seven. In verse
1: seven, Uh, yes, it is.
0: And so that means
2: the light. There's a particular light then.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. John.
2: So um, this would this be talking about? I'm just starting a question. Would this be talking about the difference between? one who has not been saved and one who has been saved, the one who has been saved can walk in the light, one who has not been saved can walk in darkness? I don't think
1: so at all. I think this is, he's writing to Christians and warning them
2: about how they walk. So um, it's possible as a Christian to walk in darkness or choose to walk in darkness after yeah. you become a Christian.
1: You uh, look at the fellow in First Corinthians chapter 5, he's become a right. Christian. If he was out in the world, Paul wouldn't have said, stop associating with it when he said, when I said don't associate with fornicators, I don't mean out in the world. This was a fellow that was a brother who was living in fornication and he was now walking in darkness. Uh, this is not talking about, uh, I think this, this is John writing to Christians and warning them and, and, and telling them, you know, to have the right attitude and have the right walk. So how this ties to chapter four, we know from chapter one, who is it that God forgives? the guy that's walking in the light, the guy that confesses his sin, the guy that is repentant. Who is it that God doesn't forgive? The guy who to walks with re- darkness. So at the end of the book, when he says there's sin unto death and sin not unto death, as Jonathan brought us to this passage, I think it's a good illustration of it. And in fact, what did it say right before that? Look at First John 5 verse 14
0: we ask anything according to his will he hears us
1: yes so let's take the uh incestuous man at corinth first corinthians five mm-hmm. would it do any good to pray that he be able to go to heaven even while he's living with his father's wife no wouldn't do any good to pray that um because that's not god's will god's not wishing that any should perish first peter three but he wants everybody to Okay. Come Counter- to repentance. Yeah, come to repentance. And here's one more point. Yes. Wait a minute,
0: wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to clarify. Ask you. So you're saying we're not to pray for that fella?
1: He didn't say that, did he?
0: <laughs> now I was setting him up. You, you shouldn't have said that with a smile and laughter in your voice. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. Did he say that? <laughs> we shouldn't pray that he accepted. As he, is, he is.
0: is, accepted as he is.
1: Well, yeah. it's kind of the concept when people pray for the dead. Um, or are baptized for the dead. You know, somebody had their choice, and they made their choice, and I'm not going to change that. And the fact is, God can work in somebody's life to, you know, in the book of Amos in chapter 4, you have all these ways that God is trying to get these people's attention and cause them to realize that they need to turn back to God, but God is not going to forcibly take somebody and, and against his will turn him back to God. Right. And if somebody is living in sin, he's made his choice. I can pray God save him, but God has already said what this person has to do in order to be saved. Right. And so our prayers are to be in accordance with God's will.
0: Now wait, 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 wait. Now I'm confused. You said you can pray for him to be saved? But you, you're, you're saying are, that as in like, it doesn't mean a thing. So therefore I shouldn't.
1: So there's there's two different things here. One is praying that God saves him anyway, regardless of his sin. In right. other words, just praying God—he's a terrible sinner, and I know it. But but he's but I like him a lot. Would you save him? Right. That that's not going to do any good. Could I pray that God will uh, see? And from my perspective, I don't always know whether somebody is sinning a sin unto death or not. Right. And that's one of the things that that we need to talk about. And I think we're going to go to John 11 here in a minute. We're going to illustrate uh, what this language means, but we're going to end up with the fact that we don't always know whether someone is sending a sin unto death or not. So we pray for people uh, that, that maybe we'll have an opportunity to say something to them that will cause them to turn from their sin, that maybe God will work in their life in such a way to get their attention. But ultimately God is not going to drag somebody kicking and screaming to heaven. All right. 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 Okay, let's look at John 11, and then we're going to switch, uh, unless we have a comment from any of our viewers, and switch to a different topic and have Jeff tell us about a study he had just the other day. But let's look at John chapter 11 real quick on this idea of uh, sin unto death and sin not unto death. Years ago, I was reading in the Gospel of John, and all of a sudden, this just jumped out at me. John chapter 11. A certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore went unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, what did he say? This sickness, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, this sickness is not to death, but on behalf of the glory of God. Yeah. In order that the Son of Man uh, might be glorified, glorified through it. Now, before we talk about this verse, somebody just very briefly um, tell us the story as it's going to play out in John 11. Just briefly. Well, well, briefly, he dies. Lazarus yeah. dies. <laughs> and then Jesus goes and, of course, raises him from the dead. Which brings glory to God. Mm-hmm. In fact, he tells the disciples that he's glad that Lazarus has died, because on account of this, they're going to have this opportunity to see this sign and have their faith strengthened. So when Jesus said this sickness is not unto death, it's not that he misdiagnosed. It's not that Jesus thought, I think it's the flu and he'll be better in a few days. He said, this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. He knows Lazarus is going to die. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and then he waits until Lazarus dies, then he goes. Now, so what did he mean when he said this sickness is not under death?
0: The ultimate death.
1: I don't well, think very- he's not talking about hell. What does he mean this sickness is not under death? The, the purpose is not death. The ultimate outcome is not death. Um, he's going to die, but he's going to live again, and the purpose is for the glory of God. Yeah. Uh, so when Stephen died, they stoned him to death and he stayed dead and Stephen is still dead and he'll be physically. dead until the resurrection. Yeah. Spiritually alive, but physically dead until the resurrection. When Jesus gets there and he says, your brother's going to be raised, his sister goes, well, I know he'll be raised in the last day. Yeah. He says, no, I'm going to raise him now. So the idea this sickness is not under death, he's not going to stay in this. That's not the end result here. This is not going to end with Lazarus is dead and buried. This ends with God being glorified because Lazarus is up and walking around. And and it should be noted, this is not just some passage where we have this language, not unto death. This happens to be the Gospel of John written by the same writer as 1 John. And, And as we read John and then we read 1 John... So much of the vocabulary, so many of the themes are similar. Yeah. And uh, we see phraseology that's similar. And so it's, I think it's especially relevant that we find this phrase not unto death in, in both passages. Yes. And so let's sum up with this and then move on. It's not that Lazarus just had the snipples, oh, don't worry about it, there's nothing deadly there. Sin is deadly. But our sin doesn't have to be unto death, just like Lazarus's sin didn't have to be unto death. Don't stay in it. Don't stay in it. Uh, Get, walk, return to the light and confess our sins and uh, enjoy the forgiveness in the blood of Christ. Drew?
0: Yeah, that uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, Says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, and that right. ties in with what he was saying in chapter five of First John.
1: Very good. All right, let's. If there's nothing further on that, Jeff, tell us about this conversation you had the other day. Well, you know, this is. I had an interesting Bible study Friday night. I was studying with a young man. Studied have studied with him a few times. Typically, he's just gotten off work, and that was the case Friday night. And uh, we sit down and he's tired. He's having trouble staying awake. And we get uh, about an hour out, an hour done. And that's about all he's good for. And that's the way it usually goes. But this past Friday night, he got to the office here after he got off work. And he was tired as usual. But we studied for six and a half hours. And it was because he kept having questions. It wasn't me holding him there. Um, I felt guilty some of the time. I, I, the thought would cross my mind. I'm tired. I'm, I'm ready to go home. But I think, no, no. If he's still asking questions and wants to talk, let's stay. And so what you was, didn't
0: fall asleep at all?
1: <laughs> I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> we were both pretty tired by the end of the six and a half hours. But what it was, he, he's, a, he's a Calvinist, a good young man, really fine young man, but he's a Calvinist. And he believed he was saved when he was seven years old. Uh, He'd gotten involved in a Bible camp, and they had told him say the sinner's prayer, and so he would say the sinner's prayer every day. And then he told his mother about it, and his mother said, "Oh, you don't have to say it all the time; just say it once, and you're done." And so he said it one more time, and decided he was saved, and and that's what it was. So we were studying through the Book of Acts, and we got to Acts chapter nine, and of course, what story did we encounter there? Conversion of Saul. Yeah, the conversion of Saul. And as you put together the accounts of Saul's conversion, where Luke tells it in Acts 9 and then in Acts chapter 22, when Luke tells about Saul or Paul retelling it, you see that Paul, Saul, saw the Lord, believed, was penitent. He's fasting. and um, Wasn't he praying
0: for three days as well?
1: Ananias was told he's praying. And you can imagine what he was praying. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But then Ananias comes to him and says, Arise, and, and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, indicating his sins hadn't been washed away. So that was the entree into our discussion of, of baptism. And, and oftentimes when I talk with a Calvinist, I just get nowhere. And one of the reasons I get nowhere is because no matter what you say, they're going to say baptism is a work, and we're not saved by works. Right. And, of course, he'd been taught that. And he kept saying, well, but why isn't baptism a work? And so that really what was getting to him and what was making him stay and continue to have questions was just talking about baptism in terms of Christ's death. Um, You know, I asked another young man in a Bible class recently, I had a whole Bible class full of young men and I asked them, how many of you are Christians or why are you going to heaven or something like that? And one of them said, because I've been baptized. Well, that's kind of, that kind of misses the point. Baptism is not any good if what? If you Jesus don't repent. God, you
0: don't believe. You don't confess.
1: Well, you, don't you, can, live. you can believe and you can be baptized, and none of that's any good unless
2: you Jesus live as Messiah a preacher.
1: Okay, two of you you're talking at once.
2: Go
0: ahead.
1: Go ahead, Scott. Dot, say it. Unless Jesus is the Messiah that died for our sins. Right. And unless Jesus died for our sins, it doesn't matter what you do. But Jesus died for whose sin? The Bible says he tasted of death for all men. And, and even though this young man's a Calvinist, uh, he, kinda, he, he wasn't ready just to say, well, Jesus only died for a certain few and nobody else has a chance, although that's what he'd been taught. But he, you know, so if Jesus died for everybody then how do you explain why some are saved and why some are not? And, of course, what he's been taught is God chose it for the foundation of the world. And yet he kind of had a conundrum in his head because he says, well, I believe God already decided all that before the foundation of the world, but I also have a choice. And how you, how you do all that, I don't know. But, but in any event, uh, the point that I was stressing was, look, it's Christ's death that saves us, but you believe, that there has to be some kind of connection to Christ's death. You thought it was, say, the sinner's prayer, which is not in the Bible. Right. And he acknowledged that very quickly. He knew that. He says, no, nope, it's not in the Bible anywhere. But he thought you had to say that to get connected to Christ's death. And what the Bible says is there is something we have to do to be connected to Christ's death, be baptized into Christ's death, Romans six three. Uh, Be baptized, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, did put on Christ, Galatians 3.27. And we, we compared it to the Old Testament, where in the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, maybe we'll go there in a minute, but when a man brought his offering, his goat, say, for example, that he wants to offer, he had to put his hands on the head of the goat that it might be accepted on his behalf, that it might make atonement for him goats could die and goats could be killed, but it didn't do anybody any good if he wasn't connected with the death of that goat. And similarly, in the New Testament, baptism is shown to be the point at which we become connected with the death of Christ. So putting the emphasis on, look, it's Jesus' death that saves you, but the Bible has Told us there's a point at which we become connected with Jesus' death, and for somebody who already thought that they had to do something to be connected with Jesus' death, namely say the sinner's prayer, I think it had an impact to say that that's not in the Bible, but there's something that is in the Bible. Right, but Jeff, isn't I'm sorry to
0: interrupt you, but Jeff, if, if he was taught that he had to say the sinner's prayer, isn't that then
1: works? Yeah, see, but he was taught that's not works, but that but the baptism is works. But once he thought about it, and once we went through, and, and we spent some time talking about what it means to be justified by works. We talked about the Pharisees' self-righteousness and how Abraham was not justified by works uh, and what it meant that he had his faith credited to him for righteousness. But if he'd been justified by works, he could have gloried not toward God, but in himself. And so you start thinking about that when in Romans chapter four, it says, if you're justified by works, you can glory in yourself. Well, obviously we're talking about the kind of works whereby I can claim I've made myself righteous and we're not going to be justified that way. But if I'm just doing what God said here, here's Jesus death on the cross. you be a part of that. you be buried with Christ through baptism and you become a part of his death so that his death saves you then you start to see that's not being justified by works. Yes, Scott. Let's look at Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three, after saying, uh, well, let's start with Titus chapter two, verse uh, 13. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of the great God in our savior, Jesus Christ. This is Titus chapter two, now verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. So the power of salvation is in Jesus Christ in, in his atonement for us. Uh, praying a prayer is not the power of salvation. Uh, being immersed in water is not the power of salvation. The source of salvation is Jesus Christ. To purify himself and people for his own possession, and then we're to be zealous for good works, chapter three, reminds the Christians that we also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving direst lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love toward man appeared, not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, earthy, he saved us. So we're not forgiven because we've been so good. We're forgiven because of the mercy offered in Jesus Christ. He saved us through the
0: washing of regeneration.
1: Yeah, through the washing of regeneration. It's like in John 3, 5, being born again, regeneration of water. So Paul here clearly is not considering, when he's saying the thing that doesn't save you is your works, he's saying we're not saved by works, we're saved by God's mercy. Through baptism. So, Paul clearly never intended uh, to present baptism the way it's being presented today. And and one of the points made, Jeff, I I think is really significant. Uh, A lot of evangelicals with the sinner's prayer, they've got a condition you have to meet. They say, no, you don't have to be baptized because it's faith only or that's works. But they've got a condition that's not in the Bible. And one way to illustrate this, let's suppose Jeff and a Southern Baptist preacher. Uh, stroll up and both knock on a fellow's door at the same time to talk to him about Christ. And, uh, to, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm talking to people about Christ. Well, so am I. And they both knock. I come to the door and I've got, I've got my whiskey and I've got my, uh, you know, uh, filthy, uh, song or video playing in the background. I'm smoking a joint. And, uh, you guys say, we'd both like to talk to you about the Lord. He said, Oh man, I know I'm going to hell. And uh, you say, well, why do you believe that? Well, you know, I'm going to hell. The Bible says I am. So you believe the Bible? Well, yeah, my grandma taught me about it. You believe Jesus Christ? Yeah. And the Baptist says, you ever been saved? I say, no. Well, I I believe Jesus is the Christ, but do either of you think that I'm saved? No. No. And now both of you are going to tell me there's something I need to do. Yep. The Baptist preacher is going to say, Here's the prayer you need to say. Here's the words you need to say. And Jeff's going to say, You need to be baptized. Yeah. But then the Baptist preacher's going to say, No, no, faith only. <laughs> or, or, or some evangelicals would say that. Well, then, then why do I say, Wait a minute, if it's faith only, I think I'm good already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's both systems, the unbiblical one and the biblical one, are asking for somebody to respond in faith. But one response is the one the Bible teaches. And one is less than two hundred years old. And in the evangelical mind, asking the Lord to save you, saying I accept you as my personal savior is just putting your trust in Jesus. But that's what baptism is. Right. Baptism is just putting your trust in the death of Jesus. It's saying, I recognize I can't save myself. I am condemned by my sins, but Jesus is offered to bear my sins in his body on the tree. I just need to be a part of that. And and right. so then it's a question of do I do it my way or God's way? And which is trust? Which is true faith? Doing it the way God said or, or just doing good what point. I
2: Good point, good point. Jonathan and then. Oh, we've got a few comments that have come in. Um, a few of these were back uh, in our original discussion. But um, one comment says, I think it's sometimes, this is Lori, I think it's sometimes we don't give enough attention to the truth that John emphasized in his letters. Life is a journey and there will be sin along that journey. It's definite destination is, is it doesn't define the destination of the one who's trying to walk in Christ, um, which I think is a really good comment. Um, and Lori has another comment relating to what we're talking about now before that there's a question from Travis. If you guys want to answer this really quickly. Um, his question was, is it possible Lazarus sinned causing his sickness?
1: Well, that last one, there is absolutely no indication of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there's something we're not told, we're not told
2: it. Yeah. Yeah. So just simply in the text in John 11 doesn't doesn't say what caused the sickness, but Jesus does say it is so that God could be glorified and that he would be raised from the dead. Um, and then uh, related to what we're talking about now, um, Laurie, uh has a comment and sort of a question. Uh, interesting how the subject of good works is through the discussion of what we do in apparent response or following the kindness of uh, God, our Savior. I wonder why so many are seemingly afraid of the idea of works. Mm. Largely,
1: I think, because of a misunderstanding of what Paul was saying. Drew, mm-hmm. uh,
0: I can't seem to remember the exact verse, but wasn't it not it say somewhere that God is doing the work, that this is His work, and it relates to uh, immersion, or am I mis mis uh, forgetting something
1: there? Well, uh, Ephesians chapter two. Go ahead, Jeff. Ephesians chapter 2, I think about verse 10, talks about us being his workmanship. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, um, that God prepared that we should walk in them. I don't know if that's what you're thinking of.
0: What? Ephesians 6? I'm sorry? Was that Ephesians 6? Ephesians 2.10.
1: Okay.
0: What were you going to say, Scott?
1: Philippians 2 says "It, it is God who works in us both to will and to do which is not specifically about baptism, but it includes that and in everything uh, in mm. other as well.
0: Here's something, That's what I was thinking of.
1: Here's something worth pointing out. Baptism isn't even something that you do. That's right. You know, Ananias doesn't say, uh, arise, go out and see how many people you can baptize to make up for your sins. Right. Be baptized. You humble yourself to let somebody else, it, it's, it's, it's an act of humiliation It's recognizing I've messed up this life. This old man needs to die. And you let somebody trusting in the blood of Christ, you let somebody else lower you into the water. And then you come up to walk in newness of life. It's not what you do. It's something you let be done to you. So Uh, I got
0: burying you. You're actually being buried. And that's what it's connecting you to the Lord's death. He was buried in the tomb. We're buried in the watery grave. So when it's burying somebody who died,
2: Right. So Jeff, in this story, but go ahead. Jonathan. Um, need, yeah. yeah, another comment comes in. which makes a good point. Um, Amy says this goes along with God's warning in Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6, um, where he says, uh, I'll just read the first verse where he says, when you come, do not say in your heart, this is Deuteronomy 9, 4, do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Um, and so uh, she says, um, just as the Israelites weren't given the promised land because of their own righteousness, but by God's grace towards them, and also punishing the wicked, we are not saved by our own our own righteousness or in parentheses works. As you all said so well, we are saved by the connecting by connecting with the saving blood of Christ through baptism, which we have talked about in uh, Romans chapter six, and then the Bible's explanation of how to make that connection. So, um, thanks oh, for the comment. Oh,
1: it- Interestingly, so often I have cited uh, when people think that being saved by faith means you don't have to do anything. So often I've, I've cited uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, um, the walls of Jericho fell by faith, uh, but the Israelites had to march around it. But I don't remember a time when somebody who was a Calvinist or who was an evangelical thoroughly wed to the theory that you don't have to do anything. I don't remember a time that such a person was affected by that. But this young man was. And uh, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter in verse 30, it was kind of interesting noticing the connection between verse 29 and 30. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were swallowed up. So we'd already made the connection between the Israelites coming through the Red Sea and baptism. And then it says, well, that was by faith. And then the walls fell by faith. And that, that kind of had an impact on him because he could see the Israelites would not have gotten a victory over Jericho. The walls would not have fallen down if they hadn't done what God said. Right. Uh, one other text here, and then I'm, I'd like to throw up some slides if we have time real quick here. And I've got a quick story. Okay. You go ahead with a quick story. You were talking about baptism is kind of a passive thing. You allow somebody to baptize you. Um, so years ago, young man at that time, now he's an elder in Christ or has served as an overseer in one of the Lord's churches. Um, but we were studying, and he, he said, well, this baptism thing, if I wanted to be baptized, what would we do? I said, we have, we have a baptistry right upstairs. He said, well, let's go do it. So we headed upstairs. He got there before I did. He headed up the stairs, before I could say anything, got to the top of the stairs and just did a big belly flop into the baptistry. <laughs> Came up and said, well, got that done? (laughs) I said, well, in the Bible, they're always baptized by someone. Let me come in there and make sure we've got this right. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And then you can have people rating the die. Ten. That one gets you in that That one's nice. Not too much splash. Um, In the book of Galatians, sometimes people go to chapter two and say, look what Paul said about we're not justified by law. We're not justified by works. You don't have to be baptized. Can't Galatians 3 be summed up with these words, you were already where you needed to be? You know, in Galatians 3, he's saying, oh, foolish Galatians, look, back in Abraham, it said it was going to go to all nations. And if you're the seed of Abraham, if if you're in Christ, you're already the seed of Abraham. You were already where you needed to be. And in that section, what did he say about them being where they needed to be? He said, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. So when people use part of Galatians to act like baptism similar to circumcision, it doesn't matter. It's completely alien to Paul's point. Paul is talking about where our justification is. It's in Christ. We need to trust in him. But it's if you've been baptized into Christ, you're already where you need to be. And it looks like we have another question or two
2: uh yeah so uh there's a question coming on on Facebook from uh, Albert Could baptism be considered uh an active dash passive obedience and he's quoting from first peter three twenty one where baptism, which corresponds to this, is not a removal of dirt but is an appeal to God for a good conscience
1: uh yes uh, some, obedience but it's passive in what you do
2: mm-hmm yeah you let
1: there's an interesting little note. There's an interesting little note on that in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Um, 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, and I need to get to verse uh, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, passive. Uh, but you were sanctified, passive. Uh, no, I'm, hang on. I did that wrong. Let me look at it. But you were washed. No, okay. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, such were some of you, but you got yourselves washed middle voice, but you were sanctified, but you were justified, passive voice in both cases so it 's kind of interesting there Paul chooses to use a a middle voice in Greek for baptism, which is kind of like when Joseph and Mary got themselves enrolled uh pass- uh, middle voice uh, it's not it 's not just saying it happened to them with no volition on their part, but it 's not that they enrolled themselves. Uh, but they got themselves enrolled. Um, and similarly here, there is volition. Uh, it's not just something that happens to you, but, uh, it's not like you just do it to yourself. Right. What are we looking at here? Uh, We've got a couple of minutes here. I'm going to see if I can slide this in just really, really quick. So according to many churches and preachers in the U S it's like this, this is, I guess say, um, And the fellow says, God loves you. And he's got Bible for that. And then he says, um, sin has separated us from God. And he's got Bible for that. And then he says, God sent his son to die for your sins. And there's Bible for that. And then I'm going to say a prayer. If you say that prayer with me, you'll be saved. There's not Bible for that. Every head bow, every eye closed. Every head bow, every eye closed. No one's going to see you. If you pray this prayer with me, you'll be saved. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I accept you in my heart as my personal Savior. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No looking around. No one's going to see you but me and God. Now, raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. No, don't worry. No one will see you. I see that hand. I see that hand. And at Joel Osteen's church, I've heard the youth pastors say this type of routine. And then later, he asks for the people to come down. And he says, ushers, if you saw somebody's hand, go up, go get them. So it sounds like someone was looking around. Um, that's and is that what Peter taught on the day of Pentecost? No, no, is that what Philip taught the eunuch? No, is that what Paul did? No, is that the way people came to Christ in the New Testament? Has anybody ever seen that sin in scripture? And if I'm not willing to be seen with Christ, am I with Christ?
0: That is just
1: unbelievable. Um, here's just a good little chart we can end on biblical faith repents, biblical faith. Confesses Jesus as Lord. Biblical faith is submits to baptism. Visit biblical faith follows Jesus. Repentance is a decision of faith. Confessing Jesus is a statement of faith. Baptism is an is a response of faith. And walking in the life light, light is a life life of faith.
0: Nice chart. That's excellent. Uh, we're we're just about out of time, so we're gonna we're gonna end for today. But I did want to say this: that uh, someone had raised their hand before in the Zoom app, and I don't know if that was a mistake or an accident or not. But I didn't bring that up. But if you do want to, instead of just typing in your comments next week, come back in, hit that uh, hand icon, and that tells us that you'd like to enter your comments using your computer audio, or if you're coming in by phone. To talk with us on the phone so we can hear what you want to say or ask, uh, we're want want. someone. We want, we're inviting anyone to use that, that, that technology that's on the Zoom app. You don't have that on the Facebook, but you do have it on the Zoom app. And as I remind all of you who are listening to this on the recorded uh, podcast, which will be posted within 24 hours, you're hearing this, we invite you to go to BibleQuest.tv or BibleQuest.org. Either one will get you to the same page. And there's a form there. You can fill out the form and enter in your questions and make your comments if you have things you want to respond to what we said or you want us to talk about things from the Bible. That's what Bible Quest is. It's our quest to understand more about the Bible. Guys, thanks a lot. Very good discussion today. Anyone else before we close it out? Looking forward to seeing everyone next week. Come on back Tuesday at 2 o'clock.